All right, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to try to finish up the book of Philippians today. Philippians chapter 4, dealing with godly generosity. I think one of the most uh, important aspects of our lives as followers of Christ, it's not the only aspect, but it's one of the most important, is being generous out of all that God has blessed us with. And before we get, go any further, let me say that this isn't just dealing with money and possessions. Uh, that's how the Philippians blessed Paul was, was with, with this large offering. But it deals with our time and our efforts and, and our abilities. Uh, so, so keep that in mind as, as we go through this. But consider what God says in James chapter 2. Uh, you don't have to turn there. James chapter 2 verse 14 says, what doth it profit my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked or destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now, the Bible says that faith without action is a dead faith. It's an un, unsaving faith. Uh, now, let me say that, that, that you know, Scripture convinces us that faith without generosity, faith without sacrifice, faith without joy or peace or spiritual growth or unity or love is a dead faith. Uh, there is no heart, one commentary says, there is no heart that truly lives for Christ for that heart is absent of these things. Another commentary says, when it comes to doing things for others, some people stop at nothing. Now, that ought to be our attitude. Generosity is one of the results of belonging to Christ. Uh, how can we say that we are God's people if we're not people of generosity? How can we, as a church... Um, be generous to those in need if we don't first start by, by being generous unto God. You know, needs surround us in this town. It's the desire of God that those who belong to him would practice this, you know, we're going to call it <laughs> godly generosity to those in need. If those needs are going to be met, it has to happen through this godly generosity of people that love Christ and want to see his will accomplished here in our town where the needs are often overwhelming. Philippians chapter 4 here, um, God's people we see are putting into practice uh, a godly generosity. What I want you to see first of all is that, that we have to realize that godly generosity is only accomplished through our ability to and I want to say be both spiritual and practical. Now that, that's going to make sense in a minute. Uh, it's, it's our ability to, to, to live out our faith. Now to be both spiritual and practical at the same time can often be kind of a challenge, right? Um, I mean, how, how many of you could just pop up right now and hop on one leg, you know, pat your head and rub your belly at the same time? Probably nobody wants to even try, right? 
Yeah, it requires a little coordination, but uh, I imagine if you if you you know concentrate on it, you might be able to you know to get it. it may take you a couple of times, uh, but I think it could happen, right? Andrew's going to demonstrate for us now. No, I'm I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. The ability for us to be both spiritual and practical at the same time is determined by our willingness to be obedient to the Spirit of God, while at the same time realizing that there are human ways in which God wishes to work. He, he uses us to get the job done. God uses human means. Now, if you're in Philippians chapter 4, uh, we're going to look just a minute here up at verse 10, where Paul writes to the believers at Philippi, verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Now, Paul is saying that he is grateful to God for their generosity to him. But Paul says, you know, you were concerned, but you didn't have the chance. You didn't have the opportunity to show it to me. They, they wanted to be generous. God hadn't opened the door for them, hadn't provided the way yet. Verse 11 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, I am therewith to be content. And then he goes on, verse 12 and 13, I know, and the last time we were in Philippians, we, we preached on this, godly contentment. Uh, I know uh, both how to be abased, I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now Paul has said here in these verses that he's, he's, he's operating from a position of spiritual knowledge uh, that, that God is going to take care of his needs. Right? He, is, he, he knows this, he has seen it time after time after time where God has supplied his need, but he's used other believers to do it. Now we're going to look at the practical side. Look at verse 14. We'll read 14 down through the end of the chapter. Right, he says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye did once and again unto my necessity. Ye, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desired a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Look at verse 19. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Remember what Paul says up in verse 13. 
he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ who is continually strengthening me. That, that was a spiritual trust that Paul had in Christ. Uh, but then immediately afterwards, he says, ye have done well, in verse 14, that ye did communicate with my affliction. That, the way that's set up, he says, you know, yeah, God makes sure that I have everything I need. I can do all things through Christ. But, but you know, you did a beautiful thing when you sent that offering to me. When you did that, that was beautiful. The Greek word translated communicate means to make oneself a fellow partaker in common with. What had happened, the Philippians made themselves fellow partakers of Paul's needs. They made themselves responsible for meeting Paul's needs. And Paul thought that was beautiful. That, was, that touched him. James 2.16 says, Remember, be ye warmed and filled, and giveth not those things that have need of, what doth it profit? Well, the Philippians weren't going to be like that. What we are reading here is a prime example of godly generosity by God's people that is a balance between that spiritual and practical. Paul's words in verse 13 reveal his understanding, his, that, 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 that unfailing spiritual truth that Christ provides for the needs of his people. And the practical part comes in in verse 14 where it's very obvious that God works through his people to supply the needs of his people. Now imagine uh, tomorrow some... Mother comes and, and new to town, four children knocking on the church door and says, Pastor, I just moved here. I don't have a church home. I have no money, and my kids are hungry. Now, if you're not balanced here, the person, and, and we would refer to these as, as you know, people that are too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good, you know, you know they, they would simply pray for the needs of the mom and say, well, God will supply, God will provide. We'll just pray that God supplies your needs and and and. And yet, if, 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 they aren't, if they don't have that balance between practical and spiritual, then they won't understand that the practical side of that is that, is that God intends for God's people to meet the needs of God's people. God's plan for godly generosity is that God grows us spiritually as we minister practically. God is working out a divine end through human means. The divine end is, is, is that God is going to provide. And if it's the case of this mother with the children, then, 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 then God's going to provide for her uh, through God's people because God provides. Now, now, how God provides is up to him. I mean, you know, God wanted to. He could perform the miracle of just, you know, her going home and all her cupboards being full of groceries and, and the freezer being full of all the good stuff and maybe a little ice cream on the side, you know. Uh, he, could, he could do that if he chose to. But God delights not in just doing the supernatural, but God delights in using his people to do the supernatural. God works divine ends through human means. Not because he has to, but because he wants to. He chooses to. 
The next time a situation arises where you're challenged to practice this godly generosity, remember that God may be doing his spiritual work through the practical action of you. God might be calling you, calling on you upon your human means to bring about his divine ends. And in Paul's case, Paul knew that God would provide for him. God knew, however, that he would use the generosity in the hearts of the Philippian people in order to get the job done. We need to know what it means to be... um, generous followers of Christ. We need to be surrendered to letting God work through us to be generous. It won't happen unless there's a willingness for us to live out our faith. The funny thing is about God using us is uh, that it's not about our assets. It's, 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 it's about our attitude. You know, it's, it's not what we have. It's it's what we're willing to allow God to do through us. A a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. What God wants is a willingness to be used. Here's the second thing we need to consider here, is that when it comes to this godly generosity, it's it's about being caring without being critical. Some of the things that people might have said, might have commented towards uh, Paul, things that we have heard through the years in in ministry are uh, criticisms about uh, people in need. And the Philippians could have, they didn't say this, but but they could have. They could criticize uh, people's commitment. Some people might question the commitment of the one that has the need. They might have said, well, now before we meet this person's need, let's find out just how committed they are to Christ first, right? Uh, It's that whole criticism against the person if they're not committed to, to what I like or if they're not committed as much as I want them to be committed. And sadly, some, some people let that criticism keep them from being generous. They decide, well, you know, I'm not going to help them because I don't, I don't agree with them completely. I mean, how many times have you heard people say, well, you know, why should we help them when they don't even come to our church? Or why, why you know, they only come because we help them. Now that, that's like nails on a chalkboard. Well, chalkboards aren't very common anymore. We have all the whiteboards. They're nice and smooth, you know. They make no noise, but... You ever read anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus tells his disciples, hey, don't, uh, don't heal that guy over there. I, uh, I haven't seen him reading the scriptures this week. No. Jesus never says, hey, don't heal that lame guy over there because he didn't participate in the Jerusalem prayer walk, you know, and so we just need to leave him alone. No, Jesus understands the needs of people because he is God and he understands because he is God. He, he wants his people to be a loving people. God wants us to love all people no matter how long or short their records of wrongs are. Generosity has, 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 has so much to do with attitude. It's a decision in attitude whether you're going to be caring or you're going to be criticizing. And people may have criticized uh, the need itself. Some people just criticize others for getting into difficult situations to begin with. 
could have been said by some people, well, Paul, you know, you shouldn't get yourself in these kinds of situations. I mean, if you weren't running around trying to tell everybody about Jesus, you know, if you would just concentrate on taking care of Paul, Paul, you wouldn't be in this mess. There are difficult situations that people find themselves in that are honestly their own fault consequences of their own actions absolutely maybe they're lazy they're negligent uh, but then there are difficult situations where people find themselves completely unexpected and we um, need to be careful how we judge that then there's criticizing the personal benefit some people would say well, why should we help them? What are they going to do for us? Are they going to, are they going to wash our windows? Are they going to make up for it by vacuuming the floors? Uh, are they going to pay us back? No, see, godly generosity gives without the expectation of return. Next time the opportunity to practice this is opened up to you, think about your attitude and if God's Spirit would have you be caring about this instead of, instead of criticizing. Now there's one more thing here. To understand godly generosity is to understand God's chief principle of giving and receiving. You trace any problem down, you will find at the root of the difficulty there's an underlying principle at the core of the problem, right? For example, your automobile doesn't run and, and you begin to trace the problem down to where it might be. You know, with the older vehicles, uh, the issue is either fuel or fire, right? If it wouldn't start, it, it either wasn't getting gas or it wasn't getting spark, fuel or fire. But now with the new vehicles, it could be fuel or fire. It could be this sensor or that sensor or that computer board, you know, but still you, you can trace the problem, you know, down to the core issue. Well, the same is true with our attitude towards generosity. Many people, uh, you know, they, 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 they're not generous people because they misunderstand God's principle of giving and receiving. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 says, Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It says, shall what? Men, exactly men, give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. Now, I, I like that whole, you know, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. You ever buy a bag of chips and there's this many chips in the bottom of the bag? Yeah. You're paying for air, you're getting chips just extra. Yeah. Um, God doesn't give that way. God fills the bag and then he shakes it so it settles. And then he fills it a little more and shakes it so it settles. So that when he gives you your bag of chips, so to speak, it is full. And he uses other people to bless you like that. He wants to use you to bless other people like that. The problem so many have with this principle of giving and receiving is that they adopt the opposite, and that is getting and receiving. That's not scriptural. God won't bless what we don't invest if we are not generous towards God, then how can we ask God to bless? You know, I gave God nothing, but I want God to produce something out of my nothing. Could he? Absolutely. Will he? Probably not. He could operate that way, he just chooses not to. 
because he is God and he has set this principle of giving and receiving, not getting and receiving. One commentary says, nothing costs as much as caring, except not caring. So you must operate in God's economy by God's rules. We, we don't get to write the rules here. And then there's something about persistence. Persistence in our generosity. If you do something once, it may have been just a fluke. You may have done it to save face, uh, maybe because you were pressured into it. But to do something consistently speaks of your passion and persistence. See, Paul spoke of the generosity of the Philippians as something they did with passion. They were excited and persistent about this. It becomes pretty clear that the Philippians gave and they gave and they gave. Now look how Paul spoke about the believers in Philippi. They're examples of persistent, generous giving. Look at verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, ye did once and again, uh, I'm sorry, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Once and again, verses 15 and 16 here refers to the act of the Philippians making themselves fellow partakers with Paul in the responsibility of spreading the gospel. The gospel had come to them. Paul brought the gospel to them. Remember Acts, uh, Lydia, the seller of purple. She was one of the first ones. Then we have the Philippian jailer that was saved after the earthquake, almost killed himself. Paul stopped him and says, no, we're still here. And and he gets saved. That's the core of, 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 of the Philippian church. They rightly felt the responsibility that since they had received the gospel, they needed to send out the gospel to those that haven't heard yet. The words giving and receiving here, they're, they're business terms. They're accounting terms. They're, they refer to the credit and debit side of the ledger. The Philippian saints owed Paul much since he was the one who had won them to Christ, he nurtured them in the faith. It says, as concerning giving and receiving, Paul says in this account here, in this exchange between us, Paul says the giving was all on you and the receiving was all mine. When it says ye only, you know, we, we're not to wait for others before we get involved. Said, so I'll I'll give when I see somebody else give. No, no, you you give as God directs you, as God leads you. When it says in verse 16, once and again, it means both once and twice. Even in Thessalonica, they were the only ones with the ear to the ground of Paul's need. They gave again and again. It was not a one-time deal. This was persistence in their generosity. They had a heart for God. They wanted to see the gospel go out. They wanted to take care of Paul, and they did. This is one of the things Christ looks for in his followers. He's looking for people who have a persistence in their generosity. It means that it's part of their regular practice because it's something that they are, they are passionate about. How is it with you and your generosity as a follower of Christ? Is there a persistence to this? Or does it seem like there's a resistance to your generosity? Look at verse 17. It says, Not because I desire a gift, 
but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul says, I, I welcome your kindness, but, but, but not because I need it, not because it, 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 it helps me, but because it adds to your account. So he's seeking fruit that abounds to their account. Their godly generosity was fruit. It was, it was evidence of their spiritual maturity. Their gifts to Paul were proof, so to speak, of their salvation and their sanctification. That brought Paul joy. When they would sacrifice and sacrifice and give to Paul to meet his need to spread the gospel, it was indication that all that Paul had preached and taught, everything that he had invested in their life, was now coming to fruition. Look at verse 18. But I have all and abound. I am full. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. When Paul says that he abounds, it means that it exists in superfluity. It means that the Philippians' gift must have been enormous, and Epaphroditus was just loaded down. That is a demonstration of the work of the Holy Spirit in this act of generosity. And the part of these people, they were former pagans, Gentiles, Romans, out of the proudest and most exclusive people group in all of antiquity, the intelligentsia of the world. Loving one who belonged to an ethnicity that was looked down on, that was despised. Paul says, I am full. Now, that verb is, uh, you know, the Greek has, has this way of packing a whole lot in just a little bit. Right? And he says, I have been filled full, and at present I am well supplied. He says, not only did you give to my need, you gave above my need. And a matter of fact, you've given enough that I've got needs I don't even know yet, and they're met already. When God's people are moved by God to meet the needs of God's people, God does it well. Look at verse 19. It says, But my God shall supply uh, all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Paul here says, My God, not your God, my God. It it implies that God would reward their bounty to his servant by, by fully supplying filling full every need he had. Paul is saying, you supplied my needs according to your poverty. My God shall supply yours according to his riches. See, after we have been sacrificially generous, God says he will supply our needs. There is an order to this. The giving and the receiving. Now let's wrap this up. Here's what we can take from this, this morning. After everything we have learned in Philippians about the importance of unity, the importance of serving one another, the importance of esteeming other better than ourselves, 
about seeing Jesus as our, as our example of, of, of abject humility, making himself a servant to all, giving us the example to serve one another. He closes up this book, showing us how to put into practice all of that and being generous in a godly fashion. Those who can really put into practice godly generosity are those who seek to be spiritual and practical. God wants us to be careful and wise and discerning, absolutely true. We do not hand out cash at the door. We have to be careful and prayerful. We understand that. But the other side of that is not to be critical and condemning with the opportunities that he gives us to be generous. We can be certain that God is committed to looking after those who give generously. God wants us to be persistent and passionate in our generosity. But notice verse 20 here. Verse 20 says, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What Paul is saying as he wraps up this book is that his, uh, he, his, his, his heart is towards obedience to God. He wants the Philippians to be obedient to God. Our obedience through everything we've learned in Philippians closed up with this is that, is, is that our obedience brings God glory. It lifts his name up. It draws attention to him. But I want you to notice something in verse 21. And often this is, this is missed. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. That word saint. It's the only time in all of the New Testament where we see the word hagios, saint, in the singular form. 57 times it's in the plural. This is the only time it's in the singular. But even here, it is prefaced with every, like every single saint. Now that's a strong reminder for us that our Christianity is is essentially a corporate affair. We were born and made in community. The book of Philippians deals with our unity and our esteeming each other better than ourselves and serving one another. God intends each of us to serve and minister to each of us. And your generosity to each other is proof of the Spirit's work in you. And we we say we want to honor God. We would say that. We do it by living out our faith. And in this case, it's being generous with what God has blessed us with. Now, how, 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 how generous have you been with God? How generous are you towards God? Has God working in you brought you to where you are generous with others? Now, the answers can be found in two more questions. And the questions are these. How much do you love God? That's the core issue. The second question is how much do you love each other? Because in the answers to how much you love God and how much you love each other will be the answer to the level of your generosity. Remember at the beginning I said this 
deals with money and possessions, but it is not restricted to money and possessions. You have time to give. You have effort to give. You have abilities to give. And they are to be given uh, to one another, not just to one another, but to one another first and then to others to meet the needs that God wants to use you to do. How much do you love God? How much do you love others? That will determine the level of your generosity. God says, if you love me, then you do what? You keep his commandments. Not to get his love, but because you love him. And the best way, really, that we have of loving God is loving one another. Stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, this morning we, uh, we come to you and, and Lord, we're going to ask that your spirit work in us to convict us of, of, of any sin that we've been harboring, any, uh, any reservation we have about obedience to your word. Lord, we want to be known as your people. And your word describes your people as loving, generous, serving, humble, available people. I pray, Father, that you would work in us. That we be the salt and light you desire us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Chris, um, Keith, would you come?